Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Adversity Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special, 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 special guest, and that is my me. girlfriend, Asia. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> the second episode. Big show. First guest. First guest. <laughs> um, there's a lot to talk about. We have a number of very good topics. I think, I think we got to start before... We even met, and for anyone who does not know, we've been dating for five years. We met on because I'm just doing it how it might look for YouTube. Uh, <laughs> because it might look like I'm just reading, like I forgot when we met and everything. That's why it said. Okay, so story: we met. In August of 2017, I am not forgetting that. I'm remembering it. Um, and before that, a few months before that, you went on a trip. I did. You went on a trip to Peru. Why did you go on that trip? Um, I had just graduated high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. I feel like I was like an 18-year-old kid. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And one of my really good friends was actually going to Africa and she wanted me to go to Africa with her. And that was a huge commitment. She was going for six months. It was a lot. And I, I still wanted to do travel and I wanted to explore and do something that I've never done before. And I'd never even been out of Canada. I'd never been on a plane. I'd never done anything. And, um, yeah, I looked, I looked into like volunteer programs and, I ended up choosing Peru and going there for three months. But why Peru? Um, the company that I was looking at going with for for volunteer, I was looking at a few programs. And I think just what I wanted to do and what I wanted to volunteer and spend my time doing, Peru had like the most amount of options. And I also just think like South America is like, really gorgeous like looking at the pictures of like the different places of where I could go um it was like it was just so different like there was a lot to do and yeah I just I love I think Spanish is a really beautiful language and I just loved the culture like as soon as I was like reading about it I was like this is I don't know I just like it just drew to me and we we didn't mention this before I should have mentioned it you went there for three months I did go there for three months yeah and what was, like, beforehand, you know, three months is a long time, especially when you're that young. Did you, like, were you nervous about leaving family and leaving oh, yeah. friends? Yeah. It was really hard. And before that, so I left in January and my friend Taya left in September. And I had dropped her off at the airport and done the whole thing with her and she the whole time was like what am I doing what am I doing what am I doing and then I never really knew that experience and then when I was going to the airport I was driving in the back seat of the car my parents were driving and my parents are not together so my dad was driving my mom was in the front seat my sister was in the back seat with me and I had my backpack with me and we were just holding hands and I was like I've never been out in the world before I've never done anything like this before so it was just a crazy moment uh, I actually had a car of 
friends with me that were driving behind on the 401. There was three of them. They drove down the airport with me. Like, it was just a really, like, surreal moment of, like, I'm leaving. I'm doing this. Like, where am I going? I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I was in the airport. And I, again, had never been in the airport before. I'd never been on a plane. I've never even... The most I'd done is driven over to, like, Buffalo before with my aunt over the border. And... I got to the airport and I remember sitting there and the guy, I don't know, the immigration officer that like stamps your passport, Mm -hmm. he looked at me and he's just so serious and he was like, where are you going? Why are you going there? What are you doing there? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just here. I just, I'm trying to get through to my gate. And then I got through. He was like, okay. And I was so scared. And I went through and I got to my gate and I remember asking people, I'm like, where's this gate? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I I never navigated an airport, let alone by myself as an 18 year old. And the entire time I was like, what did I just get myself into? Like, what am I doing? And I guess like when you, when you're already experienced that part, when you land too, in another country that it does not even speak the language that you know. That was like the most scary part I think of my entire trip because I had to do a connection flight so when I landed I was in the city Cusco and they don't do international flights so it's only um domestic flights that fly in so I had to do a connection flight in their capital city and when I had landed there nobody spoke like none of the workers spoke English I was there like 4 a.m nobody's there there's no workers like everybody there was Spanish and I was like no idea where I was trying to go. Uh, this is my second airport that I've ever been to. Everything's in Spanish. And I remember asking people and I was trying to like tell them like, I'm trying to catch a flight. I'm trying to catch a flight. And everyone kind of just was like, eh, I don't know. And I had to go get my bags. And I remember somebody telling me like, your bags will be at your final destination and you don't need to get your bags. And so when somebody was telling me your bags are here, you need to go get them. I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like I'm supposed to be in a completely different city. And I was so stressed out and I didn't know what to do. So 4am, I was so tired. I'd just woken up off of this like nine hour flight or whatever it was. And I was scared. And the only way out was to go outside. And I was like, I don't know where I am. And so I kind of was, there wasn't even a crowd to follow. That was the other thing was like, everyone's like, follow the crowd, follow the crowd. Do you know where you're going? And there was two other people that were getting their bags and they were like really old. They spoke Spanish. They couldn't even help me. I, I could barely pick up my bags because I was just, I was tired. And like, I fell back with like my backpack on in the middle of the airport. <laughs> and I literally was like going to cry. And I was like, I don't know what I'm like. I'm ready to go home. And so I went outside and you actually had to walk down the street and around the block and go in. And I could see where I had just come from when I went into the other doors. And I, it was kind of like I was just on the other side of the gate, but I you just couldn't walk in through inside. And so I, anyway, I made my connection flight and it was fine. And then when I landed in Cusco, again, it was the same thing where I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I got my bags and somebody, I remember somebody calling my name and I was like, oh, that's me. That must be my driver because I had a driver like designated to come and pick me up and so he took my bags and he was walking with me and I was I thought he was who I was supposed to go with and so I'm following this man and he wasn't my driver and I was so confused he was just looking back on it I should have known because 
people can't go into where the baggage claim is. But I, my third airport I've ever been in, I didn't even think of that. And so he was just somebody, luckily, who went outside. And it's very common where when people hold the sign up of what you're looking for, of the name you're looking for to pick up, um, they look for that. And they go inside and they just ask you to carry their bags and then they walk it to the taxi. And then after they tell you like, oh, that's 20 pesos or whatever. But yeah, it could have gone very bad and very horrible for me. And so that was my first experience. And that that guy didn't speak English. My taxi driver that was designated to pick me up didn't speak English. And the host family that I was staying with didn't speak English. And then I finally met my first person who was my coordinator my volunteer coordinator and he spoke English and I was like thank goodness because I don't know what the heck I'm doing but it was very scary getting getting there and then after that too like what you explained what the reason was and why you went there but what did you go there to do like what was the whole point of you volunteering in Peru um, I think I just wanted to do something for the greater good, um, that now looking back on it and looking and doing like hearing what like volunteer and, um, the NGOs kind of do, like, I feel like they aren't so helpful, but at the time, like I was, I was doing it like out of the kindness of my heart and I thought I was doing something that was good, but um, no, I just wanted to go and I just wanted to help like underprivileged people and, and kind of let them have like a, a good life and experience like things that maybe not everyone gets to experience. And so my whole, there was a few different things that I could have done while I was there, but my main goal or my main, um, reason for wanting to go was to work in an orphanage and I went there every day and I hung out with the same group of girls. There was like five to six girls that I was with every single day, ranging from the youngest one was like two or three. I can't remember. And the oldest that I usually was with was like 13. And we hung out every single day and I just did activities with them and I took them out and played with them. And they really didn't have much. So I ended up spending a lot of my own money and I would go to craft stores and buy water balloons and like just stuff like that where we could like hang out and like have fun um and yeah that was kind of just my I I didn't really know what I was going to do while I was there I didn't know if I was going to be doing housework or brushing their teeth or giving them a bath or whatever but I was just there to be their friend and I I remember you told me this I think you told me this I don't know if it's just me thinking in my head but you being a Canadian going there, um, they did they see you as like somebody different? Yeah, I think so. There was there was definitely like moments where I was there and somebody like was like photo photo and I was like, Yeah, sure, just thinking they wanted a photo and then they just handed me their baby and took a picture of me holding their baby and I was like, Oh, uh, it was just like a very different thing but sometimes people like that like don't ever really see people who are not latin american and i at the time had very blonde hair um and so i think that was also different and even going with one of the girls i was with she was like 12 or 13 
and she loved my hair. She wanted to braid my hair all the time. And their hair texture is very coarse. It's still straight, but it's pretty coarse. And my hair was like very soft and it would move. And so she was always trying to play with my hair and braid it. And they do it so freaking tight. And I kept having to be like, oh, my suave. Like do it a little bit lighter because it was so tight. And I couldn't even like turn my head down. But there was like a few differences for sure. And they always wanted to know English and ask me how, like what to say and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. During that trip, aside from the orphanage, you went to Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. What, what was, I guess the first thing is what was that hike like? Or how do you even get up there for people who don't know how you get up there? <laughs> so... Yeah, there is a hike. There's it's like the Inca Trail. There's a few different options. So you can do five days, three days, one day. Like there's so many different days of a hike that you can get up there. Um I didn't actually do the Inca Trail hike. I I did want to if I was gonna be there by myself, but the last ten days of my trip my sister actually came down and at the time she was thirteen and there was no way that I was gonna hike that with her because at that time we still very much butted heads and like she literally like in Machu Picchu like completely ditched me like no phone no nothing she just like left me in Machu Picchu because she was mad at me like so if I had to do that for five days on a hike in the middle of a field nowhere like she'd be dead for sure like she just she was so mad at me she didn't even want to like hang out with me which is now funny but at the time I was like we were on a different continent with no parents like I am your parent and like she just left me so we did not do the the hike um we took a train um it's kind of like the sacred valley is like there's all these different cities in it so Cusco's one and then kind of at the end there's another one that's like Oliente Tombo um and there's a train that you can catch from there so you get a bus to the city there's a train that you catch from there that takes you into another city that's called like Aguas Caliente um and we stayed in a hostel there that night and you can do the hike up in the morning but you have to get up really early like 3 a.m because you have to be there for when your two guy gets there um or you can take a bus and again I was with my sister so we did take the bus up but if I did go back I would love to do the the hike what was like what was it like up there at the top pretty surreal it's one of those like moments where it's like it's exactly how it looks in the picture like everything that you see I was like it was it was picture perfect like there was actual llamas just roaming around and like coming up to you and we actually I wanted to get one picture um of my sister and I and we I because there, there's like those stair things and I wanted a picture from above of us like laying on the grass on the stair and we didn't end up getting it because it actually had rained that morning and it was really wet and I was not about to get soaked but we, I was kind of trying to scope it out and see if there was a place where we could lay and a llama just like eating my hair like from behind like came up behind me it was just eating my hair and I was like oh okay so they they're just everywhere up there and it's, it's actually really nice and very easy to get lost um as you know my sister left me and I was trying to find her but there is like it's interesting because when you're up there there's some areas that you can only go one direction in so if you start going on that path like 
you can't turn around and go back. So that's what kind of makes it a little tricky to navigate. It turns into like a maze. <laughs> and you did Rainbow Mountain too? I did. What was what was the difference between the two hikes? Um, or you didn't hike, but... I didn't hike up Machu Picchu. Rainbow Mountain I did first and it was very difficult. It was really, really tough. It's like 5,200 meters above sea level and... On top of that, like Cusco's already like a very high altitude city. Um, and so you start it and it's very flat for the first hour. And you think, okay, like not that bad. I was like, easy peasy, I can do it. And you're walking with like hundreds of other people. And you start getting going. And then as soon as it starts to kind of incline upwards, you're still feeling good and it's fine. It's not that like you just had an easy hour hike, but because you're so high, the second that you stop and have a drink of water, it like takes you five minutes to recover. And so that was like a pattern that me and my friends had gotten into where we kept stopping like every five steps, we'd have to stop and drink water. But just because we were so high, it wasn't even that we were tired. And then the last like not even 15 minutes of the climb is like almost straight up. Like it's so crazy high and um, that was the worst like it was because you're you're right there and I was like there's no way that I'm not going to go up there but you're just your body cannot do it anymore and so it was kind of hard um and my my tour guide that I was with I I was like the last person me and one other girl were like the last person in our group it was actually going to start raining soon and she was like guys like you're going to need to get like, you're going to have to start walking or I'm going to have to get you a horse. Cause there was horses that you could get. And I was like, so upset. Cause I was like, I don't want to make the horse. Like if I can't do this, like the horse can't do this. Like, I don't want to ride on the back of the horse. Like I'm heavy. Like I don't want to, she's like, you're going to have to keep walking, but I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I could see where I needed to go. It wasn't even that far, but we, we just kept stopping and we couldn't do it anymore. And she was like, we're going to have to put you on a horse. And so me and this other girl, we rode a horse the last, like, I don't know, 500 meters or less to like the, the entrance, the, the last like up part of the mountain. Before you reach the peak? Before you reach the peak. Yeah. And what peak was better? Machu Picchu or Rainbow That's Mountain? That's tough. They're very different. It's very different. And the thing with Machu Picchu is there is another, once you go up there, you can see it in the pictures where you look down and it's kind of like those like building things with the rocks. And then there's a big peak at the back. You can actually climb up that as well. And that's another different view, which I never got to do. But I think that would be a totally different experience. So I think they're both really worth it. But I remember when my sister came, I was like, she had a few things that she wanted to do and I was like if Rainbow Mountain was one of them like she was gonna have to do that on herself like I wasn't doing that again like I I had been there done that and one of my other friends is actually thinking about going to Peru and she was like oh like Rainbow Mountain and I was like it's very hard it is very hard to do but it's worth it it's really gorgeous and I think Machu Picchu is like worth the hike as well when you look at Peru as a whole what do you think of that entire experience like what do you think the biggest thing you learned from being there uh spending time with people who speak a different language spending time with orphans and just experiencing sort of a whole different lifestyle what like out of all of that like what do you think the biggest thing you've learned from it is definitely family time 
and I feel like a sense of like hum like being humbled a bit um it's they're very like because I got to stay with the host family and so the family that I was staying with they were elderly the the host mom that I was with she was like 68 and the host dad was 78 like they were 10 years apart they were quite old and they did everything together and they really embraced me into their home and I got to go to birthdays with them and I got to do barbecues with them and everything that they did they always offered me to come and they they didn't have to do that for me um I was staying in their home and I was you know a part of their family in that way where I would help clean if I needed to and put things away if I needed to um but they didn't need to take me to to birthdays and and stuff like that and even for my birthday I was there for my 19th birthday and she had made me a cake and got me a little gift and it was so sweet and I think that was one thing that was really hard for me I remember crying so much when I left because they were just so sweet to me and even when she left she gave me she like knit me this hat that I still have and she like gave it to me and she was like when she left she like held it to her heart and she said like me Iha, which is like my daughter because I was there for so long and it was just a really sweet moment that I had um and you see that everywhere everyone that I met that was there also was staying with other host families and had similar experiences where they were just they just really embrace you into their home and you get to really see how they live in their culture and stuff like that but um even just like walking on the streets you you see families all the time and you see people that are look really old that still work and they still provide for their family and stuff like that so it was definitely like when I came back it was a really big a really big uh cult it wasn't a culture shock for me going there was a culture shock for me coming home and I remember the night or two like a night or two after I got home I went to a restaurant and I was out with my friends and there was like a group of people there and I just I hugged one of the guys that was there and after I did it I was like that was weird because I've never hugged him before I didn't really know him that well but I just lived three months in Peru and everyone you met whether you knew them or not you gave them a hug and so when I came back I was like oh we don't we don't do that here (laughs) like I don't really know you like that so it was like it was really weird for me coming back to that now I'll probably I don't know I don't know how many people are even listening to this but a lot of people will not know how big of a heart that you have and that's one of the things through dating you for a long time is what I've learned and obviously going to Peru obviously you know literally going to an orphanage and helping out it shows how big of a heart you have and how much you care about other people uh, where, where does that part for you come in? Like, where does that big heart, like, where does that come from? Uh, I think definitely my grandma for sure. Like, she was always, like, a very good, like, role model for me and demonstrating that way. Like, just to embrace everybody and love everybody for who they are. And it, this is something that we have to talk about because it is adversity. A few years ago, she did pass away, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um just I guess it, it's it's hard to ask a question about this because I don't know really how to ask a question about it but you know it was I remember a really like it was a long drawn out 
experience. It might have not been that long drawn out as I thought it has been. It was like six months. It wasn't, it, I mean, it was long, but it wasn't, it and could yeah. have been worse. <laughs> and she, what, <laughs> what happened um, was she, was it lung cancer? Yeah. And she sat or she was she didn't sit, but she had a medical mm-hmm. bed in your grandpa's house for about six months. Or yeah, the last like yeah, three or four months for sure. And you know, seeing somebody who's your role model, who you probably felt was invincible, who could never, mm-hmm. you know, go anywhere. Just seeing seeing somebody like that that close to you, you know. I don't want to say deteriorate because that's not a very nice word for it, but like yeah, but she go did. downhill. Mm-hmm. Just what what was that like? Like how hard was that for you? Yeah, it was really, really hard. I mean, it's still hard and it's kind of one of those things where I try and picture her when I was a kid or even before her illness because like imagining her like she was already a very like small person, but she was really, really tiny when like she got really sick um and yeah and it was really hard like it was something that when I was in high school and she wasn't even sick yet and there was like I used to watch like tv shows and I remember being watching one tv show and I was like one of their their moms had passed away and I remember crying with that girl because I was like if my grandma ever passed away like I don't know what I would do and so seeing that, like, it, it's very hard. And, like, I remember, like, my grandma was really young and I'd always envisioned her, like, having her, like, well into my 30s and 40s because she, realistically, even this year, if she was still alive, would only be 69 years old. Like, that's very young. So it was really hard to, like, coming to that acceptance that I wasn't going to have her anymore. And how hard was the situation? How hard was it for you after she did pass away? Like what, what, like what, what was in your brain? What were you feeling? What just, what, what was all that like? Well, I was at work when my dad texted me and I called him right away and I was like, you're lying. Like that was just the first thing. And he kind of got upset and was like, why would I lie about that? But my brain just couldn't, she couldn't have died. Like I just saw her in the morning. Like it was just a very surreal moment for me. And I just, I sat down at my like lunchroom table and I just was like crying and I didn't really know what to do. And then I had a few coworkers come in and they said very nice things to me. They obviously let me go home and, um, yeah, it was really tough. And I remember just being like, I never got to say goodbye. Like I never had that moment with her. And after that, I think everything kind of just went to my grandpa because I just, I felt for him and their love that they had for each other was like, he, he just is so devoted to her and was just so sad about everything that was happening. And so everything after that, I think my my whole mind like I, my heart just went out for him and what do you think was your biggest i mean learning experience like what do you think you learned 
from, you know, the grief situation, the grief that you feel, and, like, looking back at it now, like, obviously, again, she was your role model. She was, like, your everything. Mm -hmm. And losing that is such a big shock. How, when you recover from it, like, when you, what do you learn from the recovery process? And you obviously aren't, like, you never fully, like, recover from, like, a death of somebody. But, you know, how, how do you learn from it? Um, it's hard. I still feel like I do have, like, moments and stuff where I do miss her and I wish that I could call her and tell her things and I don't yeah I don't think you ever fully like recover from something I think it just gets easier to go by and remember that like it it happened and it sucks and it's not something that I ever would have like wished but there's like small sayings that I feel like just kind of get me through that like I remember like and yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it would ever, like, get easier. I, like, I don't know if there would be... I think every grief process is different. And no matter who it is that's close to you or not close to you, I think there's always a different grief process to be had. And do you... I I know some people, when they have, like, deaths of somebody close to them or even not even close to them, but somebody in their life... Like, they ever get signs. Have you ever got a sign that she's watching? Yeah, I remember um, probably not even a month after she had passed, and I had a dream, and it was so real. And still, like, it's still so real, and it's been almost four years, and I still remember it, and it gives me goosebumps every time. And in my dream, I was just crying and crying, and I was, she, I, I came home, she was sitting in the living room and she was fine. And I remember just crying and just being like, oh my God, like, I thought you died. Like, what, what, ha- like, why are you here? Like, what happened? And she came back and she said, like, I need, I needed to say my goodbye to you. And that's what she came back to do. And it was really hard because that was something that I felt like I never really got. And, I was just crying in my dream and (laughs) it makes me emotional because I was like, I don't want to say goodbye to you. I don't want you to go. And she was like, yeah, I know, but I have to. And she left and I was so sad. And, um, yeah. And I think in the morning I was, I woke up and I was crying in my sleep, but I think that was just her way of coming to me and just letting me know, like, you know, it's okay and I'm okay, but. I was really, I was really upset because I was, I saw her that morning that I went to work and I, that was it. She wasn't there when I got home. Well, that's, <laughs> this is going to be really hard to move from, but I, I, I feel like, uh, there's, there's a lot that you've went through mm-hmm. in the past couple of years that we've been dating your grandma passing away wasn't one of them and your mom Mm -hmm. having mental health issues was another uh just talk about you know i guess 
you know, you lose somebody and then you go a long period of time and you feel like, okay, like this is smooth sailing. And then your mom has mental health issues and you feel like you're losing her too. Mm-hmm. What, what did that feel like? That was really hard too because, yeah, I, I, my grandma was a really big role model for me and she, you know, wasn't um, stepped into my, my mother role because I did have a mom, but she was very much a mom to me as well. It felt like I had like kind of two mother figures and yeah then my mom kind of started getting um she'd always kind of been dealing with a bit of like mental health issues but it just really deteriorated over um maybe like the last like two years like really bad and I just kind of found out last year and it was really tough because I had never seen her like that before. I'd never seen her in a state of delusion and hallucination and saying all these scary things. And my dad had moved away too. So my dad was kind of gone in Halifax. And then now my mom, who was my last figure that was here, that was supposed to support me, wasn't who I grew up with her being. And that was really hard for me to accept. And yeah, it was really tough because I just felt like my grandma's gone. My dad moved away. I still talk to him, but it's not the same. And then on the other hand, like now I felt like my mom was gone too. So that was a really, really tough period for me last year. And um, I don't know if I should be saying it or if you should be saying it, but she did get help. Yeah. She went to... Ontario Shores, which is sort of like Cam H, mm-hmm. where she'll go in and um, I guess doctors look over her to see what's wrong with her and then assess what she's doing or what's what is going on in her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when that happens, obviously it's tough, but it's obviously also a good situation yeah. as much as it might feel like you know she's going into a place that's you know not where she might want to go at the same time it will also help her how did you battle that in your head of knowing that you know she might not want to be in a place like that but for the greater good it's going to help her in the long run yeah so well I think something too that you didn't say is that yeah she wasn't she didn't go there on her own. She was forced to go. Um, but it was a really long battle. I think if I, if it had have been sprung on me, like that your mom has all these issues and she's going there and it's against her will and all this stuff, I think I would have been really angry because when I first, when when my grandma and my uncle had first come to me and said, you know, your mom has, has these problems, I was like, well, first of all, how how dare you talk to, about my mom like that? Like, just it was it not that they painted it as her as like the villain but in my head that's just how it felt of like they're attacking her and that's not how she is I've never seen her talk like that before like they're exaggerating and it was really hard and um then I kind of started seeing a little bit and kind of it like planted the seed 
and I was like, well, that could make sense. But then I was like, but she's never been, like, she's never said that stuff to me. She's never like gone crazy like that before. Um, and so I had heard about a fight that she had had and I was like, let me just ask. So I kind of like, she called me and she was talking and it was normal and everything was fine and everything was fine. She was normal. I would have never known. And then I kind of just said, so how's this like situation, whatever. And I, she just kind of went off and she went into this huge delusion that she had. And that was the first experience I had with it. And I was like, okay, this is a, this is an issue. And so then I started kind of processing through it and it, I really did spiral for a while and it, it made me, you know, really, I couldn't sleep at night and I was very sick. Like I just couldn't, I had a lot of anxiety, but I had a lot of time to process it. And so when it came down time that it got really out of, well, it got out of control and then it kind of lasted a while. But when it came down to it and my grandma said, um, you know, I'm going to the court and I'm going to get this order that she's going to have to go to the hospital, whether she likes it or not. I was at that stage where I was like, you know what? I, as long as you let me know what's happening, I'm okay but I just don't want to be, I don't want to, I didn't want to be the one making that decision. I didn't want to have to be the one to send her there to, to go and do that of something that I knew she didn't like doing. Um, so I, I had a lot of time to process before that happened. And thankfully now, uh, she's out on her own again. Mm-hmm. She's got a job. Mm-hmm. She's getting a car. She got a car on Monday. Oh yeah. So just two days ago. And I, I guess... On that front too, you know, you see her go in and you spend time with her in there. You, you went almost, I think, every week. Every week, yeah. Um, to see her now get out and be on medication that will help her, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, it's really nice because, again, last year I was kind of battling of like, I'm going to have to accept this fact that like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get my mom back. Like, And I just, I remember I keep envisioning my wedding day because that was something that like, okay, I'd lost my grandma. My grandma's not going to be there on my wedding day. My dad moved. He'll be back. But you know, it's just, it's that like he's far away and it's okay. But, and then, and then it was my mom and I'm not going to have my mom on my wedding day. Or what if, what if she's not okay on my wedding? Like, what what is she going to act like? What's going to happen? And it just is something that like I, constantly was was worried about and stressed over and I I was like just really upset about and I saw her every week and I I had it I did before my mom went into hospital I did have a conversation with her about you know do you think what you're saying is true do you think all of these things are real and we kind of had a conversation and I told her at the end she was crying I was crying and I was like you know what like I don't feel like you're my mom anymore like I I don't know who you are anymore Um, and I, I told her like, if there's anything that you can do for me, one thing that I will ever ask you for, it's to go to the hospital for me. And she was like, no. And she wouldn't go with me. And I was so devastated by that. And every week I went, I, the doctor kept telling me, you got to convince her to take medication. You got to convince her to take medication. So every week I'd be like, so what do you think about this? No. What do you think about that? No. Like she would constantly shut me down every time I would say, she'd have great conversation about everything else. But 
anytime I bring up medication, talking to the doctor, going to therapy, no, absolutely not. And so that was really hard because I was like, you know, she's supposed to be my mom. She's supposed to do anything for me. Um, and then Christmas kind of came and she kind of got put her back to the wall of, are you going to be in the hospital or are you going to take this medication? Are you going to go out and see your kids? And so she was like, whatever, I'll do what I got to do. And that was kind of like her, okay, I got to do this or I'm not going to be able to see my girls on Christmas, me and my sister. And so she did. And then she eventually got day passes. She was allowed out. She was allowed to do all these things. And then at the end of January, she was allowed out. And now she calls me. Yeah, she got a job. She's telling me about a car. She asked me to go on vacation with me. And uh, just like all of these things that like I feel like a mom – Like, it's nice to see my mom be normal again. It's nice that my mom can call me and I can just tell her about these things. I don't think she's fully back 100%, but again, these things take time and medication takes a long time to work. Um, But yeah. I've been thinking, this isn't even in my notes, but there's been one person who's been left out of this conversation for a long time. Do you know who it is? My grandpa? Yeah. (laughs) What, I guess... Like, what has he meant to you in your entire life? Like, he is sort of also like a father figure Mm -hmm. to you, too. The thing with my grandparents is that I've lived with them probably as much as I've lived with my parents. My parents had me when they were, like, 17, 16, 17, like, 19 years old. Like, my mom was 16, turning 17. My dad was 19. And... So I lived with my grandparents a lot and then I went to high school and they lived behind the high school. So I lived with them. And so, yeah, I was very close with my grandparents, probably more than my parents, <laughs> but no, I, I love my grandpa. Like I, I really don't like he, he is that last piece of my grandma that I don't have anymore. And that he's just, he's that stability for me. He's that piece of home for me. Like he just, he's comfort and I just, I I would do anything for him. Well, that is, I guess, oh no, there's more. I have more. Um, the, wow, I cannot believe I forgot about this. Um, I think there, this was the last thing I have. Uh, there's, you, I, I, I don't want to say you're a travel nut because you're not a travel nut, <laughs> but you also are a travel nut. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you, nobody knows this except for probably me, but Asia wants to travel to every country on planet earth (laughs) before she dies. Um, there's a lot of places that you want to go to. There's, I mean, there's a lot of places you have been in Canada. You've been to a few places in the U S Yeah, just kind of, but where, where do you want your next stop to be? Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I just kind of brought up to you yesterday the Iceland thing. <laughs> yeah, Iceland would be fun. <laughs> so maybe Iceland. <laughs> Iceland or London yeah. or anywhere in Europe. I really want to do Southeast Asia. I feel like that's so cliche. Everyone wants to do Southeast Asia, but I really would love Southeast Southeast Asia. And I I literally just had this in my head. Where 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 was it? California. Oh, yeah, that's more you than me. I mean, I would love to go to California, but that's more your dream. And never Australia. 
<laughs> that's not true. Again, that's you. We're, no, I can't go. We can't go there. Yes, we can. Why? Put on your big blue pants. No. Yes. No. Yes. Why don't you tell the, no, everybody because, why you don't want to go? Because the, the bugs are bigger than the big boy <laughs> pants. <laughs> I think we'll we'll survive. It'll be okay. No, there's snakes. Snakes in the there's toilet. Snakes everywhere. Frogs in the toilet. There's frogs everywhere. Sp- spiders bigger than my face. <laughs> we can go. It'll be. You'll, I'll uh, be maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I guess there was. I have here <laughs> something that we talked about the other day. Moving question mark in brackets <laughs> London. <laughs> Literally just brought that up the other day. Yeah, and we also talked about it again today because if we were to ever move anywhere, we would have to bring our dog Finn, who you've probably seen in the camera, it's either a going bug. up and down off the couch, panting. Yeah, and we would have to if we were to ever move anywhere, we'd have to bring him. We didn't wouldn't have to, but. We have to. It would be. I would die without him. Yeah. I asked. I asked Nick the other day, if you could choose me or Finn, who would you choose? He said he'd choose me, and I said I'd choose Finn. <laughs> that does just doesn't. It doesn't make sense though, because <laughs> he's gonna I, live forever. I have nine, like ninety. I'm twenty five. <laughs> I have seventy years left. Ninety five. Yeah, so then he would be... He, He's going to look I'm over. not talking about that. We're not talking about that. <laughs> but the the thing was that I don't think I could bring him on a plane, or I, I don't think I could put him underneath on the, on the, what's it, whatever, the underneath part of the plane. Cargo or whatever, yeah. Yeah, he'd be cargo, and he would die. He would would, die. He'd he, just be very anxious. He's already... He's anxious already. He I can't even... The tripod that this phone's on, if I pick it up, he freaking leaves the room. (laughs) Because he can't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, we just have to sedate him. No. You just sleep. Like, he's sleeping now. I think he does get sedated for something. X-rays. Oh, yeah. But anyways, moving to London is going to happen. Why are we moving to London? (laughs) (laughs) We just, just talked about it two days ago and it's happening right now. Why? Why? Why why would you move there? I said that I would live somewhere. I don't really care about the city. You really liked London, so I was like, okay, London. Yeah. You know what? If you it's, said let's move to freaking Singapore, I'd be like, okay, let's move to Singapore. That's a far way. But you know what I mean? Like Doesn't it rain there? Singapore? It rains in London Asia. too. London's like Toronto, except it's bigger and it has a lot more people. And the traffic is 50 million times worse. It's also a lot more expensive there because we did look at apartments and it's like double. Yeah, but then you also make double. Do maybe you? maybe more research is involved. <laughs> yeah, it's like a whole visa process and not fun. Yeah, I'd have to get a work visa. I could just get a citizenship there. Can you even do that? Oh, I have to, that'd take a long time. Yeah, but isn't your grandpa British? Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't yeah, think. if you're if you're like within two generations of a European person, you can get a dual citizenship. I think. Well, we're moving to London. <laughs> um, I can't tell how much time is on that camera. I need to know how much time. 
we've used here. 22 minutes plus 30 is 42? 52 minutes. Oh, 52 minutes. We're good. We're good on time. Um, I don't have any more questions for you other than what's your favorite animal? <laughs> <laughs> Let's rapid fire how well you know me. What's my favorite animal? Hippopotamus. <laughs> Why'd you think so hard on that? Because I didn't know if it was a giraffe or a hippopotamus. What's my grandpa's middle name? John. <laughs> David. Michael. <laughs> What's my dad's middle name? David. Michael. Alan David. <laughs> Alan David. <laughs> What's my mom's middle name? <laughs> What's my uh, name? <laughs> Christine. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I can't believe you almost said the wrong name. I didn't almost say the wrong name. Um, I, you know what? Maybe if you ever come on again, I want to do. Um, if I you know what, this is what we're gonna do here. <laughs> if I can't get a guest on, I'm just gonna bring you on. We're just gonna talk about stupid stuff. <laughs> okay. So. Cheers. To that. Yeah. So that. That is the wrap-up of the second episode of the University Podcast. We talked about adversity, a lot of it. We talked about everything else that we talked about. <laughs> and, yeah, if you are, if you made it this far, obviously, um, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, maybe Google, if I ever put it there. Um you can also i'm struggling with this because i've never done this before if you want to follow on socials it's at the adversity pod on every platform tiktok instagram twitter and then youtube is the adversity podcast am i forgetting anything else i feel like i'm forgetting something um you gotta work on that do you want to do you want to shout out where they can follow you or do you not want that yeah. No, just, it doesn't seem like you want it. Well, like, I don't know. It's just Well, if this grows to really big, people are going to follow you. Well, I don't why am I even saying that? Who cares if it grows big? I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, they can follow you and if they want to, then they can follow me. At Asia O T T I S on every platform possible. People and the only platform Asia. is Instagram, huh? A I Z I A O T T I S. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And we'll see you next week for episode number three. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, what? the journey creates a person. Oh, the person yeah. creates the journey. So why have you point your finger? Because I'm pointing at the camera. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. The person creates the journey. The journey creates the person. That is my end phrase for this podcast forever and eternity. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you Peace. in the next podcast. <laughs>